Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. You know, it's like when the Fresh Prince calls, like you, you take the, you take the meeting, right? <laughs> I, I never like aspired to write a memoir or go write or write for a celebrity or anything. But I think for me, it was, it was super interesting just because what I get really excited about and really interested in is, is, is just human psychology. It's just, it, it's why do people do the things that they do? Why do they, what makes them tick? To me, it's just, he's like one of the most interesting case studies in the world. And so for me, it was just a pure joy to kind of get to know, not just him, but like kind of what makes him tick, his personality, where he comes from, the failures that he's been through, how he reacted to those failures. We had a good chemistry. I think our skills balance each other out really well. Like he's always super like happy-go-lucky and I'm just a cynical bastard. <laughs> I just want to like live in the darkness. Um, and so when we came together, it was actually a really nice balance. Hello, welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. I am really, really excited about the guest today. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Mark Manson. He is an author. He also started off in blogging, so he's a big blogger. But his books um, have sold over 13 million copies. Uh, the two big ones are uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And the other one is Everything is Fucked a story about hope. Uh, he's also, maybe you've seen, also written Will Smith's book called Will. A really authentic guy in digging into his life. And as he shares in the episode, more comfortable sharing his real life scenarios than coming up with a um, fictitious story, which we talk about quite late in the episode about kind of things that he's inspired to, to do moving forward. But you know, a lot of this was just talking about, you know, his evolution as a person and where he's at and just kind of the shift that he's made on his own and the things that get him excited now. Um, but of course, we definitely got into um, his main topics and of course, the main one being relationships. He just had some really great nuggets of information and perspectives, simple one sentence statements that are like wow about relationships and the way that it should go and you know the sort of romanticism of a relationship but then also looking at what real life relationships look like and and being realistic about that and then of course the whole idea of just taking accountability and looking at yourself and and really unpacking all those patterns that you see emerging in your relationships so that you can step into the one that you want and and be able to show up fully and uh, let someone see you fully which is part of the game if you like this episode and other episodes that you've heard, please click on the subscribe button to get the notifications when another one's out. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm very excited about this. I've been reading all of your many, many Instagram inspirational posts for a long time. Cool. Did you post something that you weren't going to do that anymore? Uh, I, I'm like... See, it's like my half-assed retirement, um, where it's, <laughs> it's How not- How old are you? 
37. I'm um, 39 and I'm like just starting companies again. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Mark. It's valuable. We need it. I, I, I know. Well, so the thing, I wrote a newsletter in December saying that like, I'm going to kind of gradually phase a lot of kind of the personal development content out over the next year or two. Um, so it's not like I'm stopping. It's just, I'm going to kind of slow down. Like I've been grinding at this for 13 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and at a certain point you just start repeating yourself. And, um, so there will still be content. I've got a great team behind me. Who's excellent at taking things I've written and repurposing them and putting them on Instagram and Twitter and all that. So there will be content for a long time, but, um, just in terms of like my, like where my creative focus is, um, it's going to start kind of moving on to other things. Well, that actually is a, a, a quick and easy early sort of pivot into the concept that you write about what you're dealing with and mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the books and the blog and it's all a reflection of what you're going through yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious then what it is that you're into now and what you've decided to give a fuck about now that's new. <laughs> Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, I, I kind of stumbled into this business, if you want to call it that, on accident. Like I was, I would describe myself as an emotionally dysfunctional uh, person 10, 12 years ago. Um, my relationships were disastrous. I didn't really manage myself very well. Um, but I loved writing and I was good at it. So I kind of like wrote out my therapeutic process very publicly and it kind of took off and became very, very popular. Um, and that was great. Like it was great because it helped me a lot. It helped me sort through all my shit. Um, and it helped other people too, because other people could relate and kind of mm -hmm. follow along or try things I was trying or whatever. Um, but then there's, there's a little bit of a, like a catch 22 where like, like I'm, I'm good now. Like I'm in a really good spot. So if I keep writing about this same stuff, either it, a, it, it doesn't feel authentic. And then B, it kind of feels weird. Like, you know, if my marriage is great and my family life is great, it feels weird to keep writing about like fucked up toxic relationships all the time. Like that doesn't. Right. Doesn't well, you, you're writing good. about where you're at. So it's yeah. a, a wonderful, like, congratulations to be in a place where you're prepared to move on and you're not processing yourself some of those, you know, topics that you dive into and, you know, toxic relationships and all the things that go along with being a human and you're kind of evolving, but there's, is there somewhere you're evolving to that's grabbing you right now that's different or is it, is it like a whole different space or, or can we just benefit from your new issues? <laughs> I hope I hope everybody can benefit from my new issues. Um, yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm in a period where I don't know what's next, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, there are other areas of my life that I kind of want to focus on. You know, I I am starting to get older, so I want to focus on health a lot. Like I haven't <laughs> treated my body the best the last twenty years. Um, so I kind of want to, you know, I want to focus on health. I want to focus on family. Um, I am getting more interested in, in kind of conventional businesses. You mentioned that you're starting up a bunch of businesses. So like, that's an area that is catching my interest a little bit more. 
Um, when I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra, one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12 ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. But yeah, we'll see. Like I've kind of set aside 2022 in my mind as like just an exploratory year of, Ooh, that's um, you know, focusing on myself again. I'm, like I'm coming out of like kind of this insane sprint. I did like four books in six years and a bunch of these projects, and I kept the the web website going and the blog going. And you know, I'm asking the same question you're asking: is like, what's next? Like, what's the next thing? So. Let me just reverse psychoanalyze you. Um, so if values being something that you talk about a lot and that lead to your emotions, which is essentially your baseline and how you're feeling mm. and how your life really is, like, what do you value then? Well, it's interesting because I, I think, you know, values evolve throughout your life. Sure, um, totally, totally. Yeah. And some, you know, there are certain things that I didn't give too many fucks about before and now I'm starting to give more fucks. Um, you know, health is kind of the easy example there. Um, I like actually want to go to bed <laughs> by like 10. I'm becoming an old man. I'm like, want to be in bed by 10, you know, and I get cranky if I'm not. And it's just, I feel like my, my, my 27 year old self would be horrified if he saw what, what I've become. Um, but Welcome like the 10 to six club. <laughs> yes, that's it. And I didn't choose to be here. Just my my biological clock just started doing it, uh, much to my horror. But um <laughs> but like it it's I would say, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. And I imagine you've been through some similar experiences in your own journey where it's like when you level when you start leveling up in your life, like when you when you like hit some big benchmarks you hit some big success, you gain a platform, you get a bunch of money. Um, the questions start changing, you know, it, and it's, it starts to become much, much less of like, you know, oh shit, what do I have to do to make it? And it becomes much more of like, okay, how can I give back? Or, you know, what's my legacy going to be? Mm. Um, or, you know, how do I actually want to be remembered? Um, mm. Or what are, what are the opportunities that I now have that I didn't have, say, five, 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of this is kind of that transition as well. Um, I mean, I, I think I'll always write and I, I like writing books, but um, there's a lot of space in between the writing. Like there's a lot of just time to do other things and to work on other things. And um, 
And so that's kind of like what I'm trying to figure out at the moment. Is that where writing Will Smith's book came in, where it was just kind of this sort of trail off of like your own content into someone else's? Have you written other people's books? I don't know. No, just his. Okay. Um, okay. That's really cool. I mean, was that part of it? Was just kind of like a different project that got you out of your space and into someone else's? Well, first of all, a lot of it had to do with who he is. You know, it's like when the Fresh Prince calls, like you, you take the you take the meeting, right? <laughs> I remember a hundred years ago, it was like one of his sons was turning sixteen or something like that, and their like team reached out about me like making a video, and there's some compilation that was going into his like video birthday party thing, and they asked, and I was like, oh yeah, of course, like yeah, who else yeah. do you just like make a video for some kid's birthday for like Will Smith? Yeah, it's it's I I never like aspired to write a memoir or ghostwrite or write for a celebrity or anything. But yeah, when it's him, it's like, all right, you go, you go talk to him. And um, you know, it, it was a great project. I think for me it was it was super interesting just because what I get really excited about and really interested in is 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 just human psychology. It's just it, it's why do people do the things that they do? Why do they what makes them tick? Um, why do we fail in certain ways and succeed in others, et cetera? And to me, it's just he's like one of the most interesting case studies in the world, right? And uh, and so for me, it was just a pure joy to kind of get to know not just him, but like kind of what makes him tick, his personality, um, where he comes from, the failures that he's been through, how he reacted to those failures. Um, and then on top of that, you know, like he and I, we had a good chemistry, I think our skills balance each other out really well. Like he's always super like happy, go lucky, positive, like almost to a point where it's a little delusional. And, um, and I'm just a cynical bastard. And it, it <laughs> just want to like, book titles would say that <laughs> it just want to like live in the darkness. Um, and so when we came together, it was actually a really nice balance, you know, cause it's, it, it, it ended up being, uh, a very fun and cool project to kind of do together. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to kind of answer your original question of like why I took it, I mean, uh, aside from just the project being cool, um, you know, Subtle Art blew up and became so successful so quickly, like vastly more successful than I ever anticipated that there was like a little bit, I think there were, there were a couple of years where, uh, I guess you could probably call it imposter syndrome a little bit of like, oh shit, like what if this is like my one thing, you know, what if this never happens again? And what if this is like my one window to like, you know, sure. uh, to like, to make it count. And, and so I just started saying yes to, to pretty much anything that was, you know, even remotely interesting. Uh, You're still doing uh, that. Cause you said yes to my interview. So. <laughs> I'm actually not doing many interviews anymore, Danica. I, I'm I, super I, I, grateful. Yeah, no, it's uh when you were um, a yes, I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, are you serious? <laughs> no, I mean it, it's it's I'm trying to back off the last year or two. I'm trying, you know, I've I'm not working on a book. Most of my pro big projects are wrapped at the moment. Mm -hmm. I've cut, I'm not doing speaking at the moment, and I've probably cut back like 75, 80% on interviews. So um so yeah it's it's uh different seasons of a career yeah. or a life you know 
That's part of life is the seasons of life. There's the micro, there's the macro. You're going to have your mini seasons within your days and your weeks, and you're going to have the macro in your years and decades, and they're going to bring you something different. And I think giving that permission, having permission, giving yourself permission to be in those different seasons is, um, and also sucking it up when it's time for a season that's tough is like, this is the time, right? When you said, this is my moment, I'm going to say yes to everything and look where you are. So you can't argue that it didn't work. Before I get into the heavier stuff that is all about psychology, because I'm super fascinated with psychology, (laughs) psychology, science, spirituality, any of those realms are are my my jam, but I love psychology. I'm reading, um, I'm reading the book, uh, um, uh, The Body Keeps the Score right now. So it's a great book. So anyway, um, do you think that maybe there is some effect from Will that was this sort of happy-go-lucky guy that rubbed off on you? Is there some sort of epigenetic um, (laughs) uh, science experiment happening with you where you just kind of saw this other side or it brought out a side of you um, that maybe you hadn't really cultivated or gave enough time to? I think a little bit. I, I wouldn't characterize it in, in those same words. I'll, I'll say this. He ended up becoming a little bit of a role model for me um, mm-hmm. because I started working with him. Like I said, my career just blown up. Book is everywhere. I'm getting invited on all these TV shows and speaking events and all this stuff. And when it takes off and people start recognizing you in the street and and events sell out, like it starts fucking with your head a little bit. And <laughs> And he was just a great role model of like, this is how you do it. Like he was amazing. He's amazing with his fans. He's amazing with his team. He's great with, you know, journalists and publicists and everything. He's got systems for everything, you know, because he's just been in this game forever. Definitely. And and so it was actually really useful to be around him a lot, you know, because we did a lot of interviews, but there was also just a lot of like, I just kind of tagged along and went wherever he went. And um and so it was really, really educational and, and inspirational for me of like, oh, shit, like, this is how you do it. Like, this is how you manage, you know, expectations of fans. And this is how you deal with the press. And this is, you know, when, and if something shitty comes out on the internet about you, like, the, you know, this is kind of the attitude that you should have about it. Um, and so it, it was a real blessing in that way for me. Um, it's funny because all the stuff that's actually in the book or most of the stuff that's in the book um, you know, it's psychology, personal development stuff, which I've been doing forever. So it's like, there wasn't really many epiphanies for me personally there, you know, from his story. Um, it was more like the professional side of just seeing his professionalism and his experience, uh, and just how good he is at, at all that. So it was cool to be able to spend time around people that, um, you know, live a different life, no matter what life it is. You learn from, learn from ones that have an extravagant life, learn, learn from ones that have a simple life. And the best thing you can do is take something from that. So it sounds like you have, once you get on that path of self-development, it's like, I feel like if you explain to somebody what it was like to be on the path to whatever you want to call it, awakening <laughs> or self-improvement development, it's, it's like, I feel like it's a ride you never get off. I, I think of these things in terms of skills, right? So it's like we're developing emotional skills, we're developing communication skills, we're developing self-awareness as a skill. And most skills, like you, to develop it, there's like that process of of 
unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, unconscious competence, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen that grid before, but it's, you know, to learn anything, you have to start out by becoming aware of all the things you're bad at. And then from there, you consciously work on improving them. But then the final step is to actually stop thinking about it at some point, right? It's like, if you, if you're learning how to ski, when you first learn, you have to think about everything you're doing. You have to think about how you're placing your feet and how you're moving down the hill and, and everything. But at a certain point, that thinking is actually going to make you worse. Mm-hmm. And, and, to be, and to be excellent at it, you actually have to stop thinking about it. Um, I lived that. I drove yeah. a race car. I drove a race I'm, car and people I'm ask, sure. like, is it hard to drive? And I'm like, you don't think about the driving. You, yeah. you got to make that the easy part. I mean, if you, if you were thinking in the car by the, it's probably too late. Like I'm trying to calculate passes and people around me and pit stops and, you know, oil and fuel, you know, oil temperature, water temperature. Do we need more tape on the grill? Do I need this change with the handling track bar, tire pressure? What do I need? You know, like all of that stuff is going on as opposed to just driving the car. So you got good at driving your car. Yes. And so I think at a certain point, I think what gets under publicized in the personal development world is that final step to unconscious competence of like, you know, at some point you shouldn't have to think about, you know, every little thing in your relationship. You shouldn't have to think about disciplining every minute of your day, you know, because at a certain point you're actually harming yourself. In that sense, I think there is, there's kind of an under discussed point to to, to turning it off a little bit or, or just kind of going into that unconscious competence, you know, driving the car without thinking about driving the car. Um, but I think from a broader perspective, it's like you never want to stop like the same principles of, you know, what am I bad at? What are my goals? Like, where do I want to get? Um, how do I get there? How do I learn the skills necessary to get there? Like that, that's a process that never stops. And so it's like this kind of this emotional world uh, that I've, I've spent so much time in, uh, I feel my, I feel myself kind of, you know, going to unconscious competence, but I'm sure, you know, whatever the next thing, whatever the next thing arises, right? Like, let's say I decide to get into some crazy new business or whatever, I'm going to be terrible at it. And it's, 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 so I have to go back and and start that whole process again of, of right. being like, you know, why am I tip? Why am I bad at this? How do I get better? Um, so in that sense, it never ends. What you're saying to me sounds like re- you're just reprogramming the subconscious for that your your automatic systems during the day. Your res- there's two parts. I think that it sounds like you know your systems are in place to whether whether it is how you however you deal with yourself or how you deal with relate to other people that you've done a really good job of excavating mm-hmm. that and healing that, integrating parts of yourself that were not integrated before. And also additionally, probably I think that this shows up in triggers, right? Like, so that's like, that's the other part of the work um, is just identifying when you're actually being triggered, right? And and Mm -hmm. allowing that work in. So it kind of leads to the question I was thinking of, which I think is like really kind of dives into the, to the start of this and, 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 and really like gets into psychology is that, do you think it's possible to heal the aspects of yourself that are triggered and then project onto other people or are unhealthy, perhaps an unhealthy relationship and an action that you take as a coping mechanism? Is it possible to actually get to all those things without unpacking 
your childhood and understanding your relational, uh, how you relate to your mom, your dad, your caretakers, mm. um, the tra- traumatic events throughout your life. And I'm not talking about getting your arm cut off, but I feel like we're all getting a little better at understanding trauma. It's just a really emotional thing that happened to you. And it doesn't have to be big on the outside. It just feels big on the inside. Do you think we can get to that without getting to the family and getting to the roots and the childhood and inner child stuff? I don't think so. Uh, and I, I wish I could say, yes, here's a shortcut, you know, <laughs> here's the super secret shortcut that heals trauma without actually having to like dig into your past. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately it's, it's, you know, the way the human brain works is it's, it's a, it's a trigger and response mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a pattern builder. And mm-hmm. the earlier you're, the earlier you go into your life, the more fundamental those patterns are. Um, the more they underlie everything else that has come since. And so that's why that it's like, if you have dysfunction somewhere in your life, um, and it could be anything, it could be, you know, struggling with anxiety, it could be relationship problems, it could be um, imposter syndrome or self-sabotage or, you know, substance addiction, all these things. Like it's, there's some, ultimately what that dysfunction is, is, is a pattern in your brain that's, that's not healthy. It's not working. And, uh, and you need to go break that and, and kind of realign it. And, um, and generally speaking, it's, you know, the bigger the, the dysfunction, the further down the stack of patterns you have to dig to. Um, and it's like, I, I, I think it, it's funny the, the whole, like digging into the childhood thing and, and, you know, figuring, you know, mom didn't hug me enough or dad said this or that, like it, it's, it's sometimes it's not like, sometimes I do think it gets overrated. I think sometimes people do focus on it a little bit too much. Like here's the, the funny thing about it is that if you, if you start kind of wallowing in, in your past and your childhood and stuff that can actually become a new form of avoidance for dealing with the present. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Um, There's a lot of people who spend so much time digging through their baggage in the past that it's like become kind of a convenient excuse for not dealing with whatever problem they're they have in the present so in that sense i think it could be overrated at times but at the same time it's like it's better to spend too much time back there than not enough you know mm-hmm. um ultimately understanding yourself, who you are, why you are the way you are, um, is such just uh, an important piece of knowledge for everything you do in life. And you really can't figure that out until you, you go back and spend time with that, spend time with like how your, your family environment was, what your neighborhood was like, you know, the shitty things that happened to you as a kid. Um, all those things matter. And, you know, maybe some matter, a little bit more than others, or some, maybe some don't matter as much as you thought they did, or they actually matter a lot more than you thought they did. Um, but ultimately, it's like the value is actually just developing that knowledge base 
of yourself, becoming kind of an expert on your own patterns and your own uh, scripts and narratives that you have. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated with the question of whether or not we can ever truly experience someone else objectively Mm -hmm. or not, as in we have our own lens that we see everything through. And is it possible to actually see someone like totally objectively? I don't think so. I don't either. Which is crazy to think. I mean, that should really like hit for people that should hit that, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, you can't see someone objectively. You're seeing it yeah, through yeah. your own, the things you think, like, I don't know, like a stupid example and things. I always have the silliest examples for when I learn these things because they, they, they happen in the simplest of ways. But it's like somebody, a friend could be like, oh, my forehead's really big. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, didn't, I don't even see that. Like, you're beautiful. And that's because I don't, it's not my, it, it's not something I think about, right? So, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not seeing it because it's not in me. It's not something I think about, right? So um, where on the other hand, you know, I might see someone that's, um, you know, really short. And since I'm 5'1", I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a, yeah. that's not an example I've thought about, but it's <laughs> something that would register for me. What, is, what are the keys then that other people hold for us as um, in life? Like, how do we use them? Because we can't, we also can't see ourselves, right? I mean, would you, do you agree? I I feel like that. Like I need other people to see me. I I think it's one of those things where like you can be more objective or less objective, but you're never going to be entirely objective. You know, like it's, it's, you can get better at it, but you're never, nobody's ever going to nail it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's ultimately, you know, human perception didn't evolve for accuracy. It evolved for survival. And Mm. So the reason we have a lot of the biases that we have, the misper- like the delusions that we have, the way we, we, uh, you know, it's it's one day you look at a person and they seem really, uh, really cool and attractive, and the next day they seem like a horrible person, even though nothing really changed. Like like all these little things are kind of built into our brain because ultimately they had like adaptive purposes uh, for survival, for evolutionary survival, and I think once you understand that. And understand that like, okay, just because you think something's true or, or believe something is true, like doesn't necessarily make it true. It kind of frees you to start um, questioning a lot of these things and, and trying, to, trying to make that effort to be a little bit more objective or to get a little bit closer to the truth. And I think that absolutely applies to ourselves. I mean, I think everybody has had an experience at some point where either their perception of themselves was completely off base or you've had a friend before who like can't whose perception of themselves is completely off base and like you're just like wow how do they not see the reality in front of them right like how how warped must their perceptions be to actually think this is true about themselves when like me and all the people around them can see it's not true like i think we've all had that experience before we've seen it in other people and and it, it, it happens in ourselves as well. And so it's kind of like, we've all got little blind spots. And, mm. um, and so we have to be like, I think it's an important process of questioning, uh, where are my blind spots or like, where am I, uh, where am I not being objective and how can I, how can I be better? And it's a never ending process. Cause it's just, our hardware is not built to be objective. It's, it's built to be subjective. Why is it, why is it that it takes 
sort of the mirroring aspect of nature of being a human to, to see, I don't, why, why do we need someone else to see ourselves? If you look at humans as, as just an animal, we actually, we, we suck at most things. Like if you compare us to, to the other apes, like we're super weak, we're really slow. We can't climb. We're shit. Yeah. We sunburn like crazy. Like we don't have sonar. We can't see at night. <laughs> can't swim. We're shit. Like it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, if you were to like put us on paper next to like all most of the other like ape great apes and and a lot of other mammals and stuff like we're bad at we're very mediocre at most things like the human superpower the reason why we are so dominant on the planet is we developed language and social relationships and the ability to cooperate and so there's like a very fundamental like arguably the most fundamental piece of our psychology is that we find meaning in relationships. And, um, and so we're just very primally driven to uh, want and experience intimacy and love and camaraderie and, and have a supportive network around us. Like it's, it's, if you look at all the data on well-being and happiness and longevity, it's like it's relationships are always first. And then everything else is like distant second, third, fourth. And, um, and so I think it's just, it's a, it's like the most fundamental component of our, uh, psychological well-being, And a huge part of that is we're constantly negotiating our sense of identity and our sense of self. Like we're never quite sure who we are, you know, it's like, you know, okay, well, I've written some books, but like, am I really an author or did I just get lucky a couple of times, you know, or like, does that mean I have to write books again? Or does that mean that's the only thing I am? Or maybe I want to be something else, you know? So like, there's this constant like discovery process that's happening within ourselves. We like and need for other people around us to to kind of validate those discoveries or to challenge those discoveries to kind of push back on them or or perhaps even discover things about us for us you know things that we can't see in ourselves they see in us and this is this is what intimacy is this is what you know it's when you feel seen when you feel like oh my god this person gets me they know who i am like that's that feeling of comfort and security and intimacy is like that's it's it's when your discovery of yourself matches somebody else's perception of you. And um wait, say that again. Say that again nice and slow. <laughs> so I mean, this is what it, intimacy is when your discovery of yourself or your perception of yourself is matched by somebody who sees you the same mm. way. Mm. And and it's an incredibly profound and emotional experience for all of us. And it's what what binds us together. You know, all these crazy emotions that we all struggle to deal with, like ultimately the, a lot of their purpose is to make us all attached to one another, feel attached to one another and want to sacrifice and help one another. And that's what makes our species so successful. But then I have to ask, why are relationships so hard? This is not an uncommon question for you. Of I would course. imagine every single interview you've ever done, 
<laughs> and every single day that you've struggled, you're like, why is this so hard? I at least ask that to myself every single day. Why are relationships so hard? Um, and these can be, you know, the romantic ones are probably kind of what I'm most curious about. But this applies to family, family. and children as well. Like the closest yep. one, closest people to us. It's, you know, in our human nature to be in community and, and have love and relationships. Yet it's the thing that we almost have the most resistance around. Yeah. And, and I think it's for the exact same reason. Because you know the the more exposed your identity is to somebody, the more they have an ability to hurt you emotionally. Because you know, if intimacy is somebody seeing you the way you see yourself, then that person turning around and being like, "No, no, no, you're actually a piece of shit," like that hurts ten times as much. Um, and especially if you come from a background, a family history where people are not, you know it's not healthy. Like there's not a healthy intimacy in your family environment. When you're young, um, you develop all sorts of patterns and triggers around intimacy that, uh, that cause more pain. Um, and so this is why it's like, you know, maybe you go to work and your coworker kind of makes a joke of like, Oh, you're so messy. You should clean your desk. And you're like, ha ha, you know, screw you. But then you go home and your partner comes home and is like, wow, you're so messy. You should clean up your mess. And you just fucking explode. Like, it's just because it, it's, they have deeper access to you in terms of um, how you see yourself. You know, your coworker is just a coworker. It's like, who cares what he thinks? Um, yeah. But when it's your partner and they've seen all of you and they know all of you and they have access to all of you at all times, and then they say something that, and especially if that's something has a long history of causing you pain in your life. Um, mm. It can just set you off. People run. That's why, mm. right? I, I'm just thinking of real life scenarios in my own head. And like you say something to someone and it isn't even meant to be harmful, but there's some, there's truth there. And it's like, if there's the ego comes in and is like, oh, hell no, mm -hmm. we're not having that. <laughs> well, yeah. And then it, it's fight or fight or flight, you know? So it's either fuck you, you piece of shit you know, let's get into it. Or it's like, all right, I'm out of here. And then, and then that behavior kind of perpetuates itself. Right. So what's the lesson? Like, if that's, if that's something that's happening for someone that's listening, like, what is the lesson? If somebody does something and they're like, oh no, but he was a dick or like, she was <laughs> way out of line. Like, you know, that bitch, right? Like, I mean, there could be a million scenarios people are thinking of. So what, what, what is the course of action when you have that kind of a response to something? Cause you truly like in your soul feel like they did something wrong yeah. and, and they, and they might not be right, but like, what do you do next? Because you, you work through it with them or you go work through it with the next person. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's, I mean, two, there's kind of like a process on, two levels. So one is an in, inner, internal process with yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's like, mm -hmm. until you understand your own internal triggers and mm -hmm. your own patterns and understand of like, oh, wow, I get irrationally upset in this situation. That's bad, right? It's like, it's, it, that's a very, very important piece of information to know about yourself. Because but generally you're asking people, but you're asking people to know about themselves before they have the information. Like it's the whole, like, I can't know myself. Well, it's a, it's a chicken and the egg thing, right? Yeah. So it's it's like, you know, you, your your first relationship is a fucking disaster, but you kind of need that disaster because you learn all this stuff about yourself. Like you learn 
you know, you, you learn like, oh, I'm really bad in these situations, or I, I'm really sensitive about this topic, or I, I struggle a lot with jealousy or mm -hmm. anger or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you get into that next relationship and you're able to kind of see like, okay, the partners change, but this, the same problem is happening. So maybe it's me, you know, and, and then maybe that one fails. So you get to another relationship and it keeps happening. You're like, okay, now it's definitely me. Like now yeah. this is definitely, <laughs> this is definitely my fault. Why I don't know what I'm doing. Like that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, really well with you. <laughs> um, so there, there's kind of this process, you know, cause all of us, you know, when we get emotionally triggered, our, our first assumption is that we're right. You know, it's like nobody, nobody actually stops like mid hissy fit and thinks to themselves, am I having a hissy fit right now? Like, it's just, <laughs> you're just like full explode mode and you have to kind of go back after the fact and be like, wait a second. I just like blew up over something really, really stupid. Um, why did I do that? You know, wh where does this come from? And this is where therapy helps a lot, you know, cause it's, mm the therapist kind of facilitates your ability to start digging into all these patterns and triggers and stuff. And um, so, th so the first process is an internal one. It's like, you have to understand yourself. Otherwise, you know, it doesn't matter how awesome your partner is. Like there's no chance, you know, it's like, if you're just blowing up left and right, you know, dropping bombs everywhere, you can't complain that the house is on fire. Like it's, it's just, until you figure out how to stop doing that yourself, like there's not really a chance to, to make the relationship healthy. And conversely, it's like, if you're with a partner who hasn't figured that stuff out about themselves, there's not really a chance. Like you can't force somebody to figure out their own shit. Like you can support them. You can encourage them. You can be like, Hey, uh, maybe you want to go to therapy, you know, but like, you can't, you can't sit there and, and fix their problems for them. And a lot of people get caught in that trap because it's easier. To, it's easy to see the triggers and the patterns in, in somebody else. It's hard to see it in yourself. Um, so you need both people to have spent, done the work to kind of see it in themselves. That's like step one. You've got two people who are able to do that with themselves. Step two is that they're able to communicate those things in, in a way that's not blaming or demeaning or judgmental or whatever. It's like, it's very, and this, this is, you know, it's communication skills. It's a type of communication skill. It takes practice, you know, but it's basically like learning how to, okay, I'm blowing up. I'm irrational in these situations. I need my partner to know that I've got like baggage in this area or that this is just a weird thing that sets me off, you know? And so your partner can understand that and kind of work with you on it. And so, and then from there, it's just kind of this, you become a team, you know? And it's like, both people's issues are, you know, you, you work together on them, you know, and, and it's, you kind of learn where, uh, you know, people's like warts and Achilles heels are. And, and you just kind of understand like, okay, this is, you know, like, like my, my wife has, a, has like some weird shit from her childhood about like cleaning and cleanliness. And early in our relationship, we had a lot of really dumb fights about stuff like that because i'm just i'm i'm really messy and then eventually you know we kind of figured out like okay like this is this is just her thing like this is it was like her mom was kind of a psycho about it and mm -hmm. there's some baggage there and so it's like now we both understand like this is a triggering area for her mm -hmm. and so i know i know to 
you know, I, I've adjusted my lifestyle a little bit to kind of accommodate that, but she's also adjusted a little bit. And, and right. then it's like, now when something comes up, we can actually talk about it at, at like a new level. Like we're no longer arguing about the counter space. We're like, we're having a discussion about like where the threshold is that it starts upsetting her and like, what can mm-hmm. we do? You know, what habits can we develop as a couple to like prevent that from happening again? Proactive instead of reactive. Absolutely. What do you think about the concept? And I think I heard Jordan Peterson say this, that relationships are are a decision, not a discovery. I like that. And, And I generally agree with it. People talk about commitment and it's, it's ultimately it's commitment. It's not, you know, symbolically, you know, let's say you get married or something like symbolically that commitment is made once. Like you go, you have a wedding, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but in reality, it's like, you're, you're recommitting constantly. You're like recommitting each day and each moment. And ideally, you know, if, if the relationship's good, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a joy to recommit daily. You know, it's like, you're excited, you know, it's, it's like, it's like working at a job that you love. Like you, you wake up excited to go to work. Um, and it's the same thing. If your relationship is good, you're like excited to be committed to that person. Like you're actually excited to be spending time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, it, it is a decision. And then when, when trouble spots arise and, and issues come up, you have to continue to make that decision to keep working right. on it and, 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 and to keep going forward. And so it's, yeah, I mean, ultimately people are, uh, completely autonomous like you know and and it's if you're going to be with somebody for your your entire life you need to consistently choose throughout your entire life to be with them it's not it's not just like oh shit i said i do when i was 30 so i guess i'm stuck like that's not that's not a healthy way to look at it i think so do you think that the reason why so many people divorce and so many people split is because essentially one or both are not ready to look deep, deep enough at themselves to heal things that will either make the relationship better or make them realize it's the wrong one. Yeah. I think people go into marriage often with, with poor expectations, like unrealistic expectations. I, I think, so here's something I think is under discussed and, um, and I know you mentioned Peterson, like Peterson has a pretty strong view on marriage you know, he says divorce is too easy, that Mm. um, we should actually make it more difficult to divorce. And I mean, I don't know if I disagree or disagree with that. But I think one thing that 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 is not talked about very often is that the concept of marriage has evolved over the past 100 years. I mean, it's actually evolved throughout all of human history. It's been Mm -hmm. very different from century to century. But especially the last 100 years or so, the concept of marriage has evolved quite a bit. And mm-hmm. the expectations of marriage have evolved quite a bit. So like, I think we, we live in a society that is people are way more independent than they were, say, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Women in particular are way more independent than they were 50, 60 years ago. People are more conscious about these issues. They're more aware of personal development. Uh, they're more aware of emotional issues and baggage and trauma and all this stuff which is great, but it also, in a sense, it kind of raises the bar, right? Because it's once you, once you become aware of all this stuff and you're with a partner who's not, it becomes very, very difficult to be with that partner. Um, like you, you either both need to be on the personal development train or neither. 
but at the same time, are are we still our society still has a lot of kind of narratives around marriage, like kind of unrealistic romantic narratives uh, that that maybe don't make sense anymore or aren't as realistic as they were, say, a hundred years ago. Such um, as well, I mean, till death do us part. I mean, sure. like people fucking live till they were forty. <laughs> I would be dying now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, you know, and there was a world war like every 20 years. And uh, so (laughs) young at war all the time. People died from an infection. Yeah. So it's um, the standards have changed. Um, But meanwhile, the narratives and and kind of the romanticism has not. And so Mm. I think that's that's a little bit of a it's created a mismatch. And I think it's gotten a lot of people into trouble. Um, you know, one, one of the things that I've kind of ardently written against is um, like I'm constantly just a, a wet blanket on romantic love. Like I've written tons of articles and there's a, a section in Subtle Art about it. You know, it's just like, look, romance is great. It's fun, you know, but I actually wrote an article. I, I said, you should treat romance like alcohol. Like it's it's a lot of fun. But if you if you if it's the only thing you want all the time, uh, it's going to get messy. Like you're going to have like things are, somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, is it that it, you it, can't keep it up or is it that it's just a, not a real, it's not real life. It's not real life and it skews perception. I mean, this comes back to the biases, right? So it, it grossly skews your perceptions of reality. Um, it skews your perceptions of the other person. You start believing that there's somebody that they're not. You start uh, assuming that they are going to love you and do things for you that they are not. Um, you know, you, you you assume things about your own life that are going to happen that that are not. You know, so romantic love it, it is uh, the alcohol comparison was was done very very consciously because it's it's kind of like you know being just absolutely head over heels with somebody and obsessed with them it's very akin to being drunk like it feels good you're having fun like it's a great time the sex is going to be really good but <laughs> like but you like, don't see straight <laughs> yeah but yeah you're not seeing straight and you don't know you actually don't know who you're going to wake up with in the morning and there's and, the come uh, down exactly and so at some point you're going to hit that you know you're going to you're going to wake up and you're going to look over and you'll be like oh shit who is this like I don't know this person, you know? Um, so you have to be very careful with it. I mean, romance is great, but it's the same way, uh, you know, you don't want to drink all day, every day. You know, you just want to drink on special occasions and, mm. you know, maybe, you know, Friday night every now and then or whatever. Like it's, it's the same with romance. It's like you, your relationship should not be based on romance. Romance should be a nice little supplement for the, the relationship. So what's real life then? What is when you're, when you're, when you're, addressing the idea of being in partnership like what is real life as opposed to thinking that it's this you know we're gonna be have so much fun all the time we're always gonna get a we're gonna get along most of the time we're gonna (laughs) you know it's it's you know i feel like i we've done so much work and it's like there's gonna be tough times but like tough times get re-freaking defined every time like you think it's hard but like true growth happens in the really painful stuff. And I don't just mean mm-hmm. like, oh man, that was a tough decision, but the shit that makes you cry, the shit that makes you go to a therapist, 
therapist, right? So what is a real, what should be the aspirational goals? If you were making a movie about the modern day relationship and not the Hollywood, you know, scene of like, you know, they end up together in the end and, you know, make out in the rom-com, what does that movie look like? I, by the way, I'm the worst person to watch rom-coms with because <laughs> all I do so is just functional. just complain about how I'm like, God, this guy is such, he's so codependent. This is really unhealthy. Oh you yeah, know? totally. My, what an and avoidant. My, <laughs> my wife is just like, shut up. <laughs> just watch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hang on, before we get into your answer, what is yeah. the best movie to see like a just a sickly codependent relationship like is there some red flag movies that are like warning signs for people that they could watch that would be just like this is not real at all this is a red flag this kind of relationship doesn't exist dude so i i'm trying to remember so i i don't see rom-coms very usually when i see a rom-com it's because i'm you know my wife's watching it and i'm I just get sucked in. Um, I don't remember what it's called. There's one with Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant. And Hugh Grant was like, I think it was Hugh Grant, but he was like a, he was like a, used to be a rock star. He was like a one hit wonder rock star, but it's like, you know, 10, 20 years after his career kind of ended. But he's still kind of stuck in the past. Anyway, I forget what it was called, but I think it was him and Drew Barrymore. (laughs) I ended up watching it and I was horrified. Like Hugh Grant's character, it's like, it's borderline stalking it you know he like (laughs) gaslights her constantly makes her think she's crazy like follows her in the restaurants and stuff and it's like it's treated as romantic i think it was made in like the the mid-2000s or something and uh you know in the movie's like oh this is so romantic they're gonna end up together and i'm like this is horrifying like this is (laughs) this is like yeah so anyway that i don't remember what what that was called but that one was horrifying there there's actually a, a great movie um came out last year called promising young woman Mm. um that was very much like a critique of a lot of that kind of stuff like it was really well done where it was kind of it showed a lot a lot of the male character i mean there's a lot of crazy shit that goes on in it too but there were a lot of male there were male characters in that movie that kind of behave like kind of the classic rom-com guys and so you spend half the movie thinking like Oh, he's a good guy. He just he, he's in love with her. You know, it's gonna be great. And then you know, but the movie actually shows how fucked up it is, and like how a lot of the stuff that you think you're being a good guy, you think it, you know, he's being romantic or whatever. But it's like it, it's not, it's not healthy. Anyway, so basically, don't watch rom coms if you want to understand how relationships should go. Yeah, or or watch them as an example of what not to do. <laughs> Like if a guy shows up in your front yard with a boombox over his head, like shouting your name in the middle of the night, get away. Like just get away. <laughs> Run it. the other direction. <laughs> Got it. Yep. Yep. Note to self. Okay. Now we're putting this into now we're 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 modern day humans. We are we have now decided that we need to look at our childhood and our trauma and we want a healthy relationship what, like, what, what does that look like? I mean, yeah. Okay. There's sprinklings of romanticism, of course. Right. But Mm -hmm. then there's also like practicality. Like how does real life look with somebody? Yeah. So I, I, I conceptualize this as kind of two categories. Uh, I wrote an article about this. I got forever ago, probably like 10 years ago. Um, So there's, there's chemistry and there's compatibility. 
Um, and chemistry is kind of like, it's the emotional personality side of things. So it, it's like, you know, you go to dinner and you talk for four hours and you, and it feels like it was 30 minutes, you know, it, it's like somebody who gets you, you, you click together, you make each other laugh. Like you kind of forget the time's going by. Like it, it, it's the, it's the experience that we all look for. And, uh, and it's a very important experience. You want to have that with, with a mm -hmm. romantic partner. The problem is, is that people mistake chemistry for compatibility, which is what compatibility is, is similar values, similar worldview, uh, similar life goals, aspirations. Um, and those are like the boring nuts and bolts of a relationship that are not super sexy to talk about a lot of the time, but are equally, if not more important than the chemistry stuff. And the classic mistake that people make is, is they find somebody they have tons of chemistry with and, but they have no compatibility. Their lives don't line up. They've got huge barriers to being together. Um, they've got major, major differences in, in their, their worldviews or what they care about, where they want to, who they want to be. And this causes a lot of friction. And mm -hmm. the problem is, is that friction can actually make things feel more romantic. You know, it become starts to become kind of this like, Oh, but you know, we love each other. So we're going to find a way and all this love shit. conquers all. Exactly. So like I, I had a really good friend, um, one of my, my best friends from college. Um, he is, uh, his parents were, he's Indian and his parents were from India and, um, you know, he wasn't religious, but he, he grew up in a Hindu household and, um, was not Christian and all this stuff. And he met, this was ages ago. This was back when we were in school, but he met, uh, like a evangelical Christian girl and they just completely fell for each other and they had nothing in common. She was hardcore, like Jesus 24 seven. He was like, no Jesus. And, you know, by the way, like my parents might even be a little bit upset if they knew I was dating a white girl. Like it, it was, it was just like nothing on paper, nothing made sense, but it was almost like that made it even more passionate because they were so into each other, you know? It's so it's like, in the Montagues. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a little scandalous, you know, like, <laughs> um, and I remember talking and this kind of comes back to, to how, you know, romance can blind you a little bit, make you drunk. You know, I remember having, serious conversations with him where he was like he's like you know i think we can figure it out and i was like uh are you high like <laughs> have you seen who you're dating and he's like no 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 i think i really think we can make this work and i'm like you're crazy dude like this is you're insane i'm like look it was wonderful it felt great you know but it's like this is not a long-term thing people get so wrapped up in the chemistry and the emotion and the excitement mm -hmm. and the romance that they, they neglect the compatibility things. And I would add to the compatibility thing, what we were talking about earlier, that two people who have both done kind of the inner work to be capable of having a healthy relationship, like they've kind of gone through their own shit. Um, you know, it's like, if you've got, done that work and the other person hasn't, they are not compatible with you. Like it's, mm. it's like, if you're willing to sit down and kind of go line by line through your childhood and trauma and stuff and talk openly about it. And they're not, mm. it's, it's not going to work. Like, it's just yeah. not. Yeah. The openness and the, the ability to face those things. Yeah. It's probably, I think it's human nature to want to avoid them. Of course. 
it 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 sucks. <laughs> it hurts. In your in your experience or opinion or you know for yourself experience of yourself or others, what what does it really look like to um, face those things and deal with those things? And I ask this because I like just like going, oh yeah, I'm a jealous person. Mm-hmm. I'm just a jealous person. Like, yeah. is that enough? Like, what does it really look like to integrate that part of you and to to heal that aspect that feels that? Like, what's the what's that? Is should it be ugly? Is should you see a therapist? Does it take a long time? Is it just a decision mm-hmm. you make? Like, what does that what does that actually look like? And, and I've written about this a lot. Like, it doesn't really. It's not really happening unless it's painful. The the term you know vulnerabilities become very popular at the last 10 years. Brene Brown's kind of been the big proponent of it. And vulnerability is really important. But I think what I've noticed, especially the kind of like the last four or five years, is that there's a lot of people who trick themselves by thinking that just because they're disclosing something means they're being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like I could I could tell you ugly shit about my past, but if I'm telling you in a way that like I don't really care what you think mm-hmm. and I don't really care what happens, uh, it's not vulnerable. Like by definition, vulnerability requires the potential for hurt. <laughs> yeah, I look at it like for my, even myself, I've had to dig a little deeper at times to, I think there's two scales, like there's a transparency scale and then there's the vulnerability scale mm-hmm. in my mind where I'm a really, really transparent person. Do you want to know something? Yep. I'll tell you. But I try and practice because I think Brene Brown said it, that real vulnerability is admitting or telling some saying something that you're not sure you're ready to say. Yep. Yeah. Unless there's anxiety there, it's not, it's not legit. Like there needs to be some internal resistance, Um, which as a side note is that's kind of my barometer for good writing as well. Like it's like, if I'm not nervous about publishing something, then it's probably not good. Wow. That's, that's amazing because people could yeah. use that in their own life in any way, whether it's something that they're writing, a letter that they're writing, an email or a text message or something they're ready to say or whatever. They can totally apply that. I, I, wow. What do you feel vulnerable about right now? Like writing about or talking about? You know, what's funny. Uh, I, I have for years, I've kind of had this dream of like writing fiction but it's it's been you know it's one of those dreams that like I I like keep talking about it to people in my personal life, but I never do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started dabbling maybe six months ago, just like writing few, out a few a few ideas and things here or there. Um, and it was a ton of fun, and it was really fucking scary. And uh, and then I I there's a guy out here in L.A. named Stephen Pressfield. He wrote a great book called the The War of Art. Um, he's an older guy. He's been, isn't there a famous book called the art of war too? Right. So yeah, it's kind of a play on Sun Tzu's (laughs) book. Yeah. So it's, it's the war of art because it's all about the creative process and the internal resistance that creators, artists have the anxiety and the self doubt and stuff that you deal. It's a, it's a brilliant book. It's, it's Mm. really good. Um, and he's, he's an amazing guy. Like he, worked in Hollywood. He was a screenwriter in the eighties and nineties. And, uh, and then he wrote, uh, started writing some fiction and then he, um, wrote a few nonfiction books, the war of art being one. So 
uh, he's like 70 and he's been through it all. And uh, I was having breakfast with him and he was kind of asking me the same question. Uh, you know, he's like, he's like, what's exciting you right now? Like, what are you, what are you, you know, and I kind of like listed all the projects that are going on and mentioned the will book or whatever. And then I got to the fiction thing and I was like, you know, I'm kind of dabbling in this. And he was like, he's like, why didn't you talk about that first? And I was like, well, you know, it just like, it's just this thing. And I don't know if it's going to be and like, he, he just immediately looked at me and was like, I think you should cancel all these other projects and write fiction. And I was like, what? It's <laughs> like, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, I started freaking out. And it, but it's like, it's that freak out that that tells you you're on the right track. Indicator. Cause you're also mm-hmm. excited. I can feel that energy. Yeah. Like there's an excitement around it, but there's a fear around it. Yep. So what is that? What is the fear then? Why, why, why do we get scared to do things that were, are really calling us? Well, it's new and it's, um, you know, it, it's ironic. Well, this actually ties in really well to kind of that thing we were talking about with like transparency versus vulnerability. Like I've been writing self-help and personal development for so long, and I've been writing about my own issues for so long that it's actually my comfort zone, you know? So like, totally. you know, writing a piece about, you know, some fucked up thing I did when I was 22, like to me, that's, that's just home base. Like, I don't know how anxious I would feel about that or how excited I would actually feel about that. Um, whereas fiction, it's, it's new. It's a new challenge. I don't know if I'm good at it or not. Um, and in some ways, it's a little bit more personal uh, mm-hmm. than nonfiction because it, it's, it is, it's just pure idea. Um, and, and nonfiction, it's like if you have a bad idea, you can at least kind of fall back on a cool story. Or if you have a mediocre story, you can kind of fall back on like a really good idea. But in fiction, it's like if if the idea is bad, it the fic it's just bad. <laughs> like there's no escape, you know. Um, you you can't like yeah. There's nothing to kind of carry you through a weak chapter. Sure, you can't just say, "Well, it's my life. I'm sorry, it's boring." Yeah, <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> so we'll see. I I that that's one thing that I've kind of I want to do this year is is play around with that is, you know, um, sit down, maybe write out a hundred pages or something and just see how it goes, see how it feels, see if I'm enjoying it, seeing if I'm still excited about it. You are excited about it. Clearly I am right now. So you're super excited. Yeah. And (laughs) you know, um, is there, is, do you think it's because when you write about your own life, you, you know, you can feel like the fact that you've recognized that in writing about your own life and where you're at, it resonates with other people. Cause if you're there, someone else is there too, but you're, but with fiction, you're not sure that it will land at all because it's just pure imagination. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's there's I no have... barometer. Like there's no barometer. There's no real life barometer. It's just yeah. an imagination. Yeah. And it's exactly. And it's, um, and, you know, with the personal development stuff, I've got a 12-year track record and a huge audience that's already built that already wants to hear, read it. You know, like, it's like, I know there's already demand for it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, with fiction, there's a real risk that it's like, I write some fiction, I put it out there. And then it's, you know, my audience is just like, dude, what the fuck have you been doing the last three years? <laughs> like. <laughs> You know where I can see this playing into really well is that because I think about um, I'm blanking on the name of the um, the the director for who did um, Inception and oh, um, uh, Christopher Nolan. 
Christopher Nolan. And so when you see these movies, they're fiction, right? I mean, mm. this isn't a real, but there's, you always wonder who wrote that? Cause they must be really fucking smart. Yeah. Because, and they really must have some seriously deep thoughts and experiences and things like that, that bring this stuff all to the table. But yet your art, your, your sort of your, you're putting it in the package of a, of a, of a movie of, of fiction. Um, yeah. Like I can see that being something in your future where, you know, this sort of fictitious sort of stage merges with reality because we can't write about, you probably, I don't know, this is kind of an interesting topic. I mean, can you, can you really, you have to have experienced or explored ideas in order to even have the imagination for it. I think so. And I think that, I think what you just described is kind of the bridge that's happening in my mind. Because one thing I've noticed the last few years, well, first of all, I've kind of just run out of stories of my, you know, it's like, I've only lived so many years of life and I've only screwed up so many times. Um, so you know, I've kind of run through between my books and hundreds of articles, I've kind of run through like all the juicy stuff in my life, or most of it at least. And so I've I've found the last few years, like it, it's kind of hard to reach back and find something that that really I feel like is powerful or resonant. I mean, there's you can only have so many life-changing experiences. So, you know, um, so it, it's funny because I, I I found actually when I was writing my last book, Everything is Fucked, like there's a little bit of fiction in there. There's a little bit of mm. historical fiction in there. And because I, I kind of just found like, you know what, like this story kind of works, but it could work better. And I know how I, I could make it work better to explain this point I want to make. And so I was just like, all right, let's just, let's take a stab at, at kind of embellishing it and, and, and running with it a little bit. Um, and it was a ton of fun. Those were like some of my favorite parts of that book. At a certain point, like my own life is is a limited can canvas. If I want to get a larger canvas, I need to kind of just free myself to invent characters and stories. I have a feeling you're going to do that. I have a feeling you're going to have a really fun 2022 with all kinds of cool information coming through and stories and just, you know, you're going to, I'm sure you're going to be able to see yourself in all of it. All right. Well, thank you for your time. I could go on and on for days about psychology and the human experience. People can just read your work because at the end of the day, you know, as you said, there's only so much you can write about. And of course you run out of your own stories because of how long you've been alive, but also there's only so many approaches to fixing things. And it's just whether or not you fucking do them or you don't. <laughs> exactly. I just like to get as many F-bombs in as possible for you. Oh, I, I, I've, I've got plenty. Do you, do you want to drop some? Like you could. No fucks given. Go for it. Go, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> we'll just, <laughs> just fuck it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a reason why this stuff has been written about for thousands of years. Like it's because mm -hmm. hu humans don't change. Like society changes, technology changes, culture changes, but humans don't. Like mm -hmm. the same shit that helped people, you know, 2000 years ago helps people today. And, uh, and at a certain point you can't, you can only repackage it so many times. True. But I think that, you know, you're just, I feel like you're actually just going to use another language to get to people because mm -hmm. there's no way your work doesn't parlay into fiction and mm -hmm. it's, you can't, you're not making something up that you've never thought of or experienced, um, or read about. And so, 
some people it's going to resonate more. Just like some people read to understand, some people write to understand, some people watch things to understand. Sure. You know, it's it and so maybe this is going to come in the form, you know, this will be just a different form of communication with people that will get to a new group that will understand it through story. Last question, then what's your, what, what do you think is the first um, psychological, uh, psychological um, lesson or a story that you would, you would write about? <laughs> um, what fascinates you, I guess, the most about psychology or what aspect of psychology? In terms of like writing fiction, like what's kind yeah, of piquing yeah. my interest at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. one thing, you know, we've had all these superhero movies the last 10 years, right? Totally. And, and I don't know about you, but like I got kind of burned out on them at a certain point. And one of the things that frustrated me as I watched them is I was like, some of these superpowers or some of these like crazy scenes or whatever, like they would be, they would mess with these people's heads so much. Like if you could actually you know, have telepathy or something like that would fuck with your identity and sense of self to such a great extent. It would ruin relationships. Like you would, you could develop, like you could go on power trips, like, you know, coming back to that point of like how our human perception is not objective. Like it's, it's malleable based on our context and our relationships. Um, like when you insert something like that into a person, I just think there's like a lot of emotional and psychological repercussions that are never explored in any of these movies. And so mm. one, one area that I would love to play with is just like, you know, like what, what's actually kind of like a realistic slash dark view of like how this stuff affects people, how, how like a superpower would affect somebody and mm. see, just see where that goes. Just see, like, see if where it goes, see if it's a cool story, see if it's an interesting character. Um, but like, that's been like an itch that I've had for a few years now. Okay. So then another final question. Um, it's like a photographer, just one more shot. Um, so then what superpower as an insight, what superpower do you wish you had? Oh, man. Or do you think about the most? Because I bet there's something there. Like, do you kind of wish you could read people's minds? Do you wish you could fly? Do you wish that you could just blow people into an oblivion if they <laughs> wanted to just with your hand, yeah. right? Like, yeah. what, would the, what would the superpower be that you think about the most? Maybe not even want, but just think about. So the one I've thought about the most is reading minds. I actually think if you could read people's minds, it would very quickly turn you into an, a narcissist because mm -hmm. you you would no longer like so bringing it full circle talking about intimacy it's you know for intimacy to work you have to there needs to be that that anxiety of like you know what does she think about me does she really like me or like does she really believe me you know like there needs to be kind of a veil of uncertainty there mm -hmm. and as soon as you lose that and there's no anxiety around human relationships everybody just becomes very manipulable like that that's kind of a textbook definition of a narcissist is somebody who sees people as something to manipulate for their own pleasure i think about that a lot like that would that would absolutely destroy a person and then they would probably destroy a lot of other people around them have you ever experienced a narcissistic relationship yeah to a certain extent and i think i've 
been a little bit the narcissist in a relationship. <laughs> well, you all, you must know then that if you admit or question whether or not you're a narcissist, you already really probably aren't. Yeah. But at the time I never would have questioned that. Um, okay. wow. <laughs> I mean, this is a miracle because the, the, the experts would say you can't, you cannot heal from being a narcissist. So, um, there's, th this is one of those areas that, that like gets really tricky. So there's, there's narcissistic personality disorder, MPD, which, which that is incurable. And that's probably like genetic based. And it's like, yeah, those people are just, you know, it, there's no reaching them. Like they're, they're just, they, they're probably just incapable of experiencing intimacy or empathy mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Whereas like just narcissistic trait like just mm. we all go through periods of more or less narcissism okay. of self yeah. selfishness self-absorption um i i uh i went through a period in my 20s of very intense self-absorption and narcissistic like mm. behavior um as like a a coping mechanism or like an overreaction to my previous shit i think this would be a fascinating movie i can't wait to see it <laughs> what's it called I, oh God, Danica. <laughs> making a movie. Okay, you are making a movie. All right, you're off the hook. That's fine. Um, I'm a dreamer. That's my problem is that I feel like there are two kinds of people. There's yeah. people that live in the future and then there's people that live in the past. And when you're in the mm. future, I feel like I have a little bit more of an issue with attachment to things, attachment to outcomes. Mm. And, but it makes me really dreamy. Like I yep. come up with companies all the time and start them. And I'm like, oh, now who's going to run it? Um, <laughs> and then, and then um, the people that, you know, I think live in the past are also, then they, they kind of live with a little bit more either anxiety or sadness because, you know, it's not there anymore, or they're reliving the, the, the experience that they didn't like. Yeah. And um, so I'm sorry that I inflicted my dream on you. <laughs> no, I, no, I love it. I love the attitude. Uh, I, I, I just, it's funny because it's like, I'm like in early brainstorm and you're like, yeah, what's going to be called? I'm just like, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> like, slow down. I just, I just, I made this shit up like five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for freestyling with me. Yeah. Thank you for being vulnerable. Um, of course. And um, thank you for your time. And I'm glad that your work will continue through uh, all the mediums that you have to continue to help because everybody's on their own at their own stage in the process. And while you've moved on, that means that does not mean that everyone is right there with you. There are some, but there are lots of people that still need the work and still need the lessons. And thank you for sharing them. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.